Welcome. Wizards After Dark is uh, is back. Third episode of the week. This is so exciting. This is huge. This is a huge moment for me. You guys don't know yet why, but this is a really big moment for me. I'm Fred Katz. I'm the host of Wizards After Dark, and I cover the Wizards for The Athletic. And sitting mm. once again in the windowless, brick-filled, prison cell-style room with me in the back of Capital One Arena after the Wizards 110-106 win over the Nets. The man who has had a hand in every episode this year. Yes. But none of you know it. A hidden hand. My my producer and also the oh. host of our Nets podcast. It sounds so good Mike coming Smiles. out of your mouth. I am your producer. Yeah. And so for everyone who we should have you tweeted out a picture of this room, the the ambiance. No, the I beauty. feel like it's it's best not known. <laughs> Because you call it a prison, uh, it, but the actual decor is maybe worse it's than more a prison. Like, it's more like uh, solitary. <laughs> but it's it's so many great basketball thoughts have come out of here. I am Fred's producer. I also host the Glue Guys Nets podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network, which is very exciting. Uh, so obviously after this Nets-Wizards game, I am sad and you're impartial, but people who listen to you are probably happy. I, by the way, I just want to let everyone know, I grew up a Wizards fan. Just so everyone is fully aware, I grew up an arenas, Larry Hughes, Antoine James, and I could keep dropping names. I grew up in Maryland. That's why I'm a Wizards fan. I'm not like some psycho who was uh, a Wizards fan in Montana. Hey, I grew up a Clippers fan in New York. So <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. What drew you to the Clippers? I loved playing with Eric Pajkowski and Kobe Bryant, NBA courtside <laughs> 98. You know how you just get the shooting form down with some guys? That dude could shoot. By the way, I saw that there's a company called Arcade One Up that they make these retro, like stand up uh, arcade games, like Pac Man and stuff like that. They're, they remake them. Uh, they're making an NBA Jam edition for controller slots, but it's a stand up arcade system. So anyone who's like, this is not, this is a free ad. This is what we do here on yeah. Wizards After Dark. Yeah, are they paying us? No. If they're not paying me, we can't. I'll, talk I'll about cut it. it out. Yeah. If they're not paying me, then I'll, I'll hit up my producer. <laughs> To cut it out. Let's talk about this game. Let's talk Let's yes, talk sir. Wizards. The Wizards beat the Nets, 110-106. Uh, Bradley Beal had, I'm going to put air quotes on this, only 30 points tonight. He was excellent, though. He had 17 mm. in the fourth quarter again. He now has 39 points over his last two fourth quarters, and the Wizards have needed every single one of them. It came down to a Jerome Robinson three. Unbelievable. With 8.4 seconds left to give the Wizards a 108-106 lead, and uh, Beal had 17 of the Wizards, what was it, 29 in the fourth, and after going for 22 and scoring 22 out of the last 24 against the Bucks on Monday night. And you know what? Everyone gave Beal the credit for making the right play on that Jerome Robinson thing. And, like, it was the right play. But it was a hideous possession. So <laughs> so Scott Brooks has a timeout. He doesn't call it. Jerome Robinson is in the game because he got subbed in two possessions earlier during free throws when Scott Brooks was going offense, defense with about 30 seconds left, right? Jerome Robinson brought in to play defense, to play not defense. to play offense. Right. And so he's come, he comes in during offense, defense. He's coming out in that defensive possession. And Spencer Dinwiddie scores to give the Nets a 106-105 lead on that play. They inbound to Beal with like 22 seconds left or whatever it was. Mm. And Beal just starts running out the clock. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what is happening? Why are they running out the clock? They're down one. You shouldn't run out the clock. You should be operating quickly so you can get up a shot. And even if you miss, it's okay. They can still hit both free throws. And you're in a one possession game. And you still got time to go out and score because there were plenty of 
plenty of seconds left in order to go back and score in that situation. But Beal's running out the clock down one, and I'm like, what's happening? And Beal ends up giving up the, the ball because the Nets double. I feel like maybe they doubled earlier than they would have wanted to. I don't really know if it... I think, right. I think what it was, so I heard from Kenny Atkinson, the Nets coach, after the game. I mean, he just kept saying that they wanted to deny Beal the chance to even at all have any window to put up a shot, right? So when you message that to players, with the messaging to players is like, don't let Beal shoot, immediately what happens is it kind of makes a frantic possession defensively for the Nets and in a good way for the Wizards. That all these, all the Nets were shifting over to Bradley Beal the second that he got with kind of in within range of scoring, and that left Mr. Jerome Jerome Robinson wide open from three in a situation where you know the percentage wise, you'd still rather Jerome Robinson shoot a, even a wide open three than have Bradley Beal have just one single defender on him trying to put up any shot on the floor. I think you'd still rather have Jerome Robinson shoot, but it was incredible. Where I was sitting, I know people love to hear where media members are sitting during games, but where (laughs) I was sitting was in the corner where Jerome Robinson hit that three, and I'll back it up even further. Um, When Jerome Robinson got subbed into the game, I was thinking Scott Brooks has blown it because – I was not impressed by Mr. Robinson. Um, I thought that defensively, every time that the Nets were coming down the floor and Jerome Robinson was on either Dinwiddie or Levert, they were attacking Jerome Robinson. Robinson was brought in to play defense. And he is out there in this critical possession. But credit to Scott Brooks and the entire sort of ethic of the Washington Wizards for deciding we're going to leave Jerome Robinson in this moment of the game to learn maybe something about him. And what we learned is that if he's wide open from three at a big part of the game, he may actually hit that shot and won them the game, even though Bradley Beal, of course, was more of the reason why they won that game. Yeah, one of the things I think is really interesting with the Brooks-Beal dynamic is Brooks is starting to not call timeouts late in games and just let Beal go. And he said after the game that one of the reasons that he did it was because he didn't want the defense to get set. He didn't want the Nets to put in the proper defenders for that situation. Great reason. I think it was the right call not using the timeout. That's that's fine. Even though Jerome Robinson was out there, I that's a tough decision for a coach. And if you want Beal to operate a defense that's not set versus Beal operating against a defense that is set versus maybe like having one or two other guys in there who you'd otherwise put, I understand weighing it that way. I think it's a totally good decision. And hey, it worked out great. So wonderful. I thought he made the right decision not calling the timeout against the Bucks on the final play as well when Rui ended up getting blocked by Robin Lopez on Monday night. But what I think is really interesting is that Brooks is now continuing to roll in those situations even when he has timeouts. He's continuing to roll in those situations by letting Bradley Beal go. He's not calling the timeouts. He's not drawing up a play. And Brooks is pretty good at ATOs. Like, he's notoriously pretty good at those after-timeout plays. I don't think four years ago, Scott Brooks would be doing this. With four years ago, Bradley Beal. I think it's a nice, it's a nice piece of symbolism of Bradley Beal's evolution, not as a scorer, but as a playmaker and as a decision-maker. Because Bradley Beal... As I said, after that Monday night game against Milwaukee, when he was, it might have been the best game of his entire career, mm-hmm. he was unbelievable. And he was not just on a scoring role, he was on a decision making role. He was just constantly making the right choice, even on his turnovers. They were, they were more just turnovers late in the game due to being swarmed by so many guys. Beal was amazing off the ball in this game. Garrett Temple did an incredible job shading him, and he said after the game that it was the first time he'd been guarded by a box-in-one since high school. I think the Nets guarded him with a box-in-one last year. 
I, um, I remember it's something that Atkinson does deploy again. I mean, yeah. the Nets are more than almost any team in the NBA. I mean, obviously they'll they don't use the box and one. They'll use box and one. They'll use zone. They'll they'll do the things that are weirder that that you typically don't see in a game. Yeah. They will do it because they will try because. Ultimately, the team itself doesn't have that much defensive talent. I mean, this lineup did, though, with Levert and Dinwiddie and Garrett Temple and DeAndre Jordan if he's on the floor. But they do try some pretty weird stuff against guys like Br- – I mean, that's the thing about Bradley Beal you're talking about. So having seen the evolution of Bradley they Beal – They ran box and one last year, by the way, every single time they played the Hornets with Gamble Walker. Yes. Every single time because, last but, year they ran box and one. And the Hornets were the perfect team to run against because it was pretty much just Kemba mm-hmm. Walker versus and no one else was on the Hornets for that team. I remember young Beal fumbling the ball in big possessions, young John Wall doing the same thing in big games, in playoff games. They always were loose with the ball at the end of the games. And it does show you a clear evolution of what Bradley Beal has become, the fact that you know he has become one of those feared players at the end of games. And that's, that's a pretty tight group of guys. Now, is he Kawhi Leonard? No. But he is among the group of like the Kawhi Leonard, uh, LeBron James, Damian Lillard, those guys who at the end of the game, you will do anything you can to make sure that that person doesn't have the ball, that person isn't comfortable in their offensive set. You have to do things out of the norm like a box in one to address how to deal with a guy like Bradley Beal. Um, and and the, we're talking about this, though, in a game, again, where he made instead of the shot, he made the pass to Jerome Robinson. Who I, I so I have little notes here in my phone. I have a Google Doc. With well, some let notes. me let me yes. finish really quick, please. Because the point that I was making until I just went on a tangent by myself and got About distracted by myself. <laughs> yeah, got distracted by myself. A box and one, by the way, if you're listening and you don't happen to know, is when four guys on the floor play a two-two zone and the other guy guards the remaining guy man to man, and that's what they were doing with Garrett Temple guarding Bradley Beal. But Bradley Beal, he's on a decision-making hot streak right now. And early in the year, he was playing a lot of hero ball late. And the this last three games, really these last two games, he is just on a decision-making role. The way he prodded early tonight, took over late. It was it was like Chris Pauly, you know, with mm-hmm. the way that he prods early and just totally takes over the game late. And his fingerprints are on everything. And each individual possession, he's just making the right basketball play right now. This is a hot streak. It's not like Bradley Beal has hit this. He's certainly a better player than he was three years ago. Yeah. But it's not like Bradley Beal has hit this thing. And it's like, oh, wow, now Bradley Beal is this this perfect floor general. That's not the case. He's on a hot streak. There are very few people in the world who are capable of a hot streak like this from both a scoring perspective and a decision-making perspective. I mean, he is playing... He's playing amazing offensive basketball right now. It's amazing to watch. And still, so, again, outside of Bradley Beal, you have the Drew Robinson three. You also have the Davis Bertons. I mean, I'm going to compare it to the Ray, not in terms of moment, but the type of shot. It was like the Ray Allen three in the finals when he was with the Heat. Backpedaling, yeah. The backpedaling, just the quick backpedal three-point shot that, uh, that looked perfect. I mean, Bertons was off tonight. For the most part, I mean, he had wide open looks. You know, I looked up before the game, the guys who shoot the most threes without dribbling, you know, without having a dribble. And Bertans is number one in the NBA. He takes about, I think it's six or seven three point attempts, not having a dribble before taking that attempt. And he had plenty of open looks tonight. They didn't go in. But that one big one went in. And that's sort of, and we were talking about, you know, everyone loves to talk about Bertans because he's such like a, a nice found gem for the Wizards. Um, and he has this insane comp. You've written about his insane level of confidence that he never thinks that a shot's not going to go in. And 
that's kind of just proves the theory of like let shooters shoot even though if they're i don't know what his stats were exactly in the moment I don't know if he was like one for six leading into that moment or something. Four, four for 11 on the night. Four for 11 on the night. He had so a that ends up looking good. ones early. Right. And then throughout the middle of the game, he was missing most. And then he, but at the near the end of the game, right when the, the Wizards really need him, he hits this massive three point shot, a Ray Allen esque three point shot. It feels so wrong. To compare any any <laughs> any moment. regular season shot to that, but let that's alone, what it looked like, you know. That let was alone Wizards. That's net. what it seemed like. It was that important. I'll say it. no. It wasn't and you, that important. And you know who Davis Breton's favorite player of all time is? No, Ray Allen. Really? Yeah, he loves Ray Allen. I believe it. Can I ask you something? You can. Yeah. How good? What would you have done if I said you couldn't? I would have moved on. Yeah. <laughs> I tried. I that's. I would have just moved on. Is. Okay, so we, there's so much to talk about the Wizards defense, Wizards defense. Where is Davis Bertans on the defensive scale of bad or good? Like in terms of how far bad, or I wouldn't guess that great, but what's your assessment of Bertans' defense? Because we only talk about his shooting and how lights out a shooter is and how he's the Latvian Kevin Durant. Is his defense, though, not the Latvian Ben Wallace? All right, here's my nuanced answer. Please. I'm not going to answer just bad or good. Davis Bertans is a great example of how good or bad defense is contextual to the four guys around you. When you have bad defenders around Davis Bertans, he is really not good because he's not extremely strong and he's not extreme. He's, he's quick footed, but he's not straight line fast. And it shows. And he gets muscled. He's sometimes out of position. And when you're a little bit out of position, and a lot of other people are way out of position, and you feel like you have to scramble, that's, that's when you get all these bad habits, and that's when you look really, really bad. And when you're bad, you look really bad. And if you're below average, you look bad. And if you're average, you look below average. And there's this trickle-down effect, especially on defense, more so than on offense. And I think he's been a big victim of that this year. He was... Now, the Spurs were not like an all-world defense last year, but they were pretty good. They were very, very good at defending without fouling. And part of the reason they were really good at defending without fouling was because they were a good positional defensive team. Like, Marcus Aldridge has slowly gotten worse on defense. Um, um, some of the other guys on that team have slowly gotten worse on defense. But they were a good positional defensive team. That made Davis Bertans look better. Yeah. Like he's okay chasing a guy around a screen if he has to. He's pretty slithery for like a tall non-defender type on that. If you put him in a situation where other guys are in the right spot, then he, he's not going to kill your defense. Like he's okay in that sense. But because everybody's out of position, he's also out of position. And because guys are getting to the middle, He's not helping that situation at all. He's only further hurting hurting it. So I think if you put him in a proper defensive culture, he's okay. Like, you can stand him. He's not going to murder your defense. There are other Wizards defenders that I would say are in worse situations. But because he gets roasted a lot now and because he tends to be out of position, people look at it and they're like, he sucks defensively. And I don't think that's the case. You can go back and watch the Spurs last year and see that's not really the case. Like, I would be more concerned with a guy like Thomas Bryant. Yes. Who who is out of position in a different kind of way than Davis Bertans is. So I think you can put Bertans in a situation where he's okay defensively. Right now, he's not good, and he's part of the many not good defenders on this team. 
I don't know if as a wizard he's going to be in that point. Like, you know, if he's ever going to be in that position, I don't because Rui is right now not a good defender, and Brad right now is not a good defender, and Thomas Bryan or or you know Mo Wagner similar things, and you know Mo Wagner is like feisty, but he, he's not like going to hold up your defense. And you know who knows about John Wall when he comes back from the Achilles? It's not like he was defending well the last two years. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if Bertans is ever going to get to a point where he gets back to it, but I, I I really think you need to add context to this stuff before you just like blurt out not a good defender. Not a good That's, defender. That is my really long, really nerdy answer. So he's a bad defender, is what you're saying? <laughs> no, I so because I, I want to say that because I think so much attention is paid to his shot, and he may get make you put whatever dollar figure per year he may make coming out of this season because of how good of a shooter he is. But watching him, I don't think he is a bad defender. I don't think he's a, he's not a good defender for going bad to good scale, but I think you're exactly right. He um, can be on the right place on the floor. His length is an asset. Um, he isn't slow, slow. You know, he has some quickness he's, to him. He's got quick feet. Like, you watch him on offense, he's, he's quick as hell running around screens. Different guys have, have different... Like, there are guys who will have quick feet on offense and slow feet on defense, <laughs> yeah. which is, like, a weird concept to have. Like, Ennis Canner has super quick feet on offense and is, like, in quicksand on defense. He just he just can't move. And you Perfect see that example, disparity. Yeah. You see that disparity. But, like, with Bertans, like, he can move a little. Like, wh- go watch him in San Antonio chase guys around screens. Like, he's he's pretty okay at that. The Spurs used to have him do that. And there are moments this year where, like, he's – kind of okay but it's the same thing as like it's really hard for me to figure out if Troy Brown is going to become a good team defender Troy Brown is really smart and I I and I want to figure out if Troy Brown's going to become a team good team defender but I just don't really know he's out of position a lot and he gets beat a lot but is that because of what's going on with the other four guys around him all the time is that because of the defensive culture that's on this team like I don't know if Troy Brown is going to become a good team defender. I don't know how how this playing in this system and playing with these guys defects affects his evolution as a defender. Like I don't know how to grade it because it's so contextual. Like it has so much to do with the guys around him. I think that fits like a lot of guys on this team. Yeah, and it's the same way of like we say if an offense is stagnant, it lowers the ceiling for every offensive player on the floor for that team. Same way it works for defense. The only position where defenses obviously can be a singular force is a Rudy Gobert center, right? Where like this this guy at the rim is so impressive at stopping guys attacking Giannis. the basket. Giannis, Brook Lopez, kind of, you know. Yeah. Brook Lopez mean, is really good. It's yeah. hard to kind of separate those two guys. Like yeah. the whole Bucks defense but like, now. Okay, let's say hypothetically, yeah. hypothetically. The Wizards traded Davis Bertans at the deadline for Ersan Sova and, like, two first-round picks. Yeah. Let's say they made that trade. Okay. And now Bertans is on the Bucks, And now you got Bertans out there with Giannis, Brooke Lopez. Chris Middleton. Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton. Right. And that's who you have him out there with. Obviously, you put anybody out there with those quality defenders, that guy is going to look better. But his defense, I don't even think, would really be a problem. Like, you'd be fine. 100%. The, if you put Thomas Bryan out there with those guys instead of Brooke Lopez, you're going to have a problem. You put Isaiah Thomas out there with those guys instead of Eric Bledsoe, you're going to have a problem. 
Like, those guys are, I think, context-independent poor defenders, at least right now with Thomas Bryant. We'll see if he evolves out of that. But at least right now, that's the case. I, I wouldn't put Davis Bertans in that category. And to me, that's key, again, for the evaluation of Davis Bertans, is that you know the grand vision of this team is whoever the draft pick is going to be, unless if this team makes the playoffs, uh, John Wall, Bradley Beal, Rui, and Davis Bertans. So you're going to need plus defenders at some point. We don't know who that Bradley Beal can be that. John Wall pre-injury was that when he chose to be. You know, it's really people say they chose to be. It's really hard to be a point guard and also super great at defense, unless if you're Pat Beverly, where you're not really a point guard, you're more of a guy who guards point guards, right? We always kind of roast guys for being bad at defense if they're point guards. It's a hard thing to do while you're also running an offense. It just you only have so much energy. So the best lineup on the floor. That's why Chris Paul is so amazing. Right. Chris Paul is why he's, you know, he's going to be first ballot all famer, whatever. But he he is one of the true, if you look at advanced analytics, the Chris Paul effect is incredible. I think, like, only during this time, LeBron James has had a bigger impact on a team during this sort of generation. So I think, the, again, grand scheme of Wizards. You're going to want Davis Bert. You want to know what kind of defender Davis Bertans is. We know what shooter he is, but what kind of defender is he? And I agree with you 100%. I think it's situation dependent, and I don't think it's a massive negative. I think it's more sort of in this nice, cushy, he's a B minus student as a defender. Does that make sense? B minus? Sure. sure. I, his parents I, aren't mad at him when he's bringing home his defensive report card. Well, it depends on how strict his parents are. Yeah. Uh, right. Before we do move on, please, I want to take a moment to tell you more about the place that we work and the great things that we have going on at The Athletic. The Athletic is home to more than 400 of the best sports writers out there covering every major team and every major league in the U.S., in Canada, and in, in the U.K. And uh, we have so many podcasts there now. We have so much writing. We have so many good beat writers. I've told you guys about it before. I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, there's a decent chance that you are already a subscriber. But if you're interested and you happen to listen to this podcast... There's just so many guys on the D.C. team alone. Like Michael Lee just wrote a great story about Bradley Beal and kind of the the anger versus happiness that he's going through and a great column that you can go on and read. And Mike's been covering the Wizards forever and is a legend on the beat. And we got David Aldridge with the D.C. team. And we have so many good people just on the D.C. team alone doing the Wizards. Uh, ben Standig, obviously, who I have on the pod all the time. And, and we got people on every NBA team and Sam Amick National and Shams National. It's just it's an amazing team to be working this. And simply put, we have the best newsroom on the planet. <laughs> and if you're a Redskins fan, I don't know if people who are listening to this are Redskins fans, but draft season's here. Dane Brugler is amazing. You gotta, you have to read him. He does all the mock drafts. He does all the scouting reports. Phenomenal, of course. Ben we talked about Ben. Ben is one of the best Redskins writers there are, as well as also writing about the Wizards. So, just a lot of a lot of value for the small amount of money that it takes to be a subscriber. Yeah, and you don't have to take our word for it. You can sign up for yourself with a free trial. You can go to theathletic.com/slash/wizards-after-dark. And you can save 40% on an annual subscription there, which works out to about $3 a month for total access to some of the best sports coverage in the world. And that's not just the Athletic DC. That's going to get you everything. That's going to get you all the NBA coverage, MLB, NFL, NHL, everything else. So what are you waiting for? That's theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark to save 40% on an annual subscription. Better than the B-minus. 
it's at least A minus. I was a terrible student. What was your worst class? Like well, my worst grade? The, yeah. Oh, like my worst subject, you mean? Yeah. Let's go college. There was no consistency. <laughs> it was legitimately, am I going to pay attention or not? Oh, okay. I, I, I was just terrible ADD. Yeah, I was like, about to say ADD. My mom's a child psychologist. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. She, oh, God. She would, yeah. I'm really showing it then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like terrible, terrible ADD and all over the place. Horrible student. Yeah. My worst grade was uh, sports broadcasting. <laughs> I went to Syracuse. Oh, no. I was in uh, Newhouse, which is the communications school. And uh, there's a sports broadcasting elective that you can take. Syracuse is known for Bob Costas, Mike Tirico, Marty Glickman. Who could forget Marty Glickman? And I took a sports broadcasting elective. And Iron I got Eagle. Iron Eagle, right? Iron Eagle, yeah. of course. Brooklyn Nets, um, and Marv Albert, did I say him? And uh, I got a C in sports broadcasting. I, I, in a C, like in this class, this class was essentially like make a radio show, uh, uh, do play-by-play, and then interview an athlete. You did, that's all you had to do over the span of four months. And I failed to interview an athlete. The athlete I interviewed was my friend, uh, shout out to Mike Hirsch, he went to Bullis. If anyone here uh, is into the D.C. private school scene, he went to Bullis and he played club hockey at Syracuse. So he was my interview. Uh, my play-by-play was me sitting in my apartment watching tennis, I believe the Australian Open. And my uh, talk show was just, I don't know, it was terrible. It was something. It's actually, can I tell you what we did for our talk show? It couldn't have been the Australian Open because our talk show that we had to do, our teacher came in, Matt Park, who's a legend at Syracuse, uh, it was the day after Tiger's Thanksgiving Day crash. Remember that? Yeah. One of the of course that so that we came into class like after that weekend, and he was like, "You guys, sh- everyone should do a show about this. Go and talk about what you would talk about." And I'm so glad those tapes don't exist because I'm sure it was horrible. You know, so I got to see sports broadcasting. Don't put that on your resume when you apply well, for. Sports. I got a job at the athletics, so. <laughs> oh man. Oh, man, after we just told people to sign up for the athletic, <laughs> maybe we should be giving them 50% off. Can I tell you one thing I noticed during the game? Yeah. And please. this is a credit to the Wizards here. It was the all-dumpster uh, lineup, the all-dump lineup, mm-hmm. okay? Out on the floor for the Wizards was Davis Bertans, who was essentially dumped from the Spurs, so they get one of the Morris, Morris twins. It was Bonga. It was Wagner. It was um, Shabazz Napier, who's been dumped by two teams already this season, and then who would and Robinson and Robinson, the the hero of the game. It was the all dumped lineup, and I was thinking, what an incredible thing. I mean, not that that lineup was like plus fifty for you know offense defensive rating, but just seeing that out on the floor and seeing that this Wizards team, who out of the the ashes of the John Wall injury and trying to figure out the best path forward, has of course become sort of the way station for the NBA, but. They have, to the credit, been able to take Jerome Robinson. You know, Jerome Robinson was, I had written notes. I was like, he's something. I was writing notes on my phone. He's something. He has length. He's not super skinny, so he can, like, kind of bang a little bit. But then he looked lost, and then I crossed him out of my notes, and then he hit the game-winning shot. You know, and, like, Bonga, we don't know what he is, really. He's kind of a mystery. But the the Wizards have accumulated a bunch of guys that, were kind of cast-offs from other teams, but they 
have their value has improved. And I think that's a big sort of franchise. If your franchise can grow the players, so that's what we went through with the Nets. They took Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, guys that other teams didn't want, and turned them into assets. And now we're sitting here and, you know, the Wizards have just beaten the the Brooklyn Nets, which is not as impressive without Kyrie Irving or with Kevin Durant not playing basketball. But it's it's a kind of incredible to win's watch. Wins a win. A wins a win. Uh you know what stands out to me about that all dumped lineup? Yeah. That Troy Brown was not in it. Ooh. Troy Brown didn't get into the game until like eight minutes left in the second quarter. Yeah. He played 13 minutes. Come on, man. Like, I know Troy's playing 25 minutes a game this year. That's great. But there are still these random games where Scott Brooks just veers away from playing him. You're playing Jerome Robinson. That's great. Play Jerome Robinson. He's... A year, not even two years removed from being a first-round pick. You believed in him. He's young as hell. Great. Play Jerome Robinson. That's awesome. But, like, Troy Brown's got to get minutes. Troy, he, he, can't, he can't play 13 minutes. He just – it's a Scott Brooks thing. Every once in a while, he just veers away from Troy Brown. I don't fully get it. He's skilled. He's 20 years old. I get that he's not like the he's not the he's not going to run through one of these bricks in our solitary room right now. Like he's just he's not going to Kool-Aid man this room. It's not his personality. He's he's not he's not you know he's not Scott Brooks. Like Scott Brooks as a player would run through one of these bricks. Scott Brooks would would elbow a guy like when he was boxing out a guy he told me once that is his favorite, like, like crafty, dirty move when he was a player was that he would stomp on a guy's foot <laughs> and then elbow him. And when he was going up against a, a big guy who was, he was trying to box out and fight for a rebound, and then he made a joke, but it was only funny because it was true, which was, yeah, they would, they would hit me in the face, but the trick to being good at that move is not giving a crap if you get hit in the face. <laughs> and he's like, if you don't get hit in the face, then there's no reason not to do it if you don't care. I was like, that's hilarious. But that's just that's the reason why Scott Brooks played in the league for 10 years, because he would do that crap. Nobody cared. Scott Brooks was the dude who would smash his head against the brick wall if it meant the possibility of getting the ball. I don't think Troy is to that degree. But Troy's 20 years old. He's skilled, works hard. Like, he, he, consistency is big for young players. Like, and, and, and I don't mean this as like, like, Scott's done a great job developing guys this year. And he's done a really good job, for the most part, playing the young guys. And Troy's playing 25 minutes. But like, I just don't think he should be playing 13 minutes in a game like this. He's played okay lately. He's had some games where he's fallen off. He was fine tonight, I thought. He was normal Troy Brown. But like get him some get him some consistency there. He's 20 years old. Young, young people who are trying to develop need consistency. That's an important part of development in any part of life. Yeah, and I wanted to see Troy Brown, and I was thinking during the game we hadn't seen much Troy Brown, and the, obviously the minutes played attests to that. I wonder if it's a situation of where so how many ball handlers they've, you know, there's Ishmith, Bradley Beal, Napier. But that's basically a Jerome Robinson is not really being trusted yet. I wouldn't I wouldn't trust him to be a ball handler. So then it becomes okay, wing minutes and the wing distribution. If you add Jerome Robinson to the mix of wing, if we're gonna consider him a wing, um, 
you're going to kind of discount one of the guys at one point. It's not going to be Davis Bertans. It shouldn't be Rui. Rui should never be discounted. So then it's like, okay, Jerome Robinson. It's kind of come to that point, right? Yeah, it's Jerome like, Robinson or Bonga. Bonga, yeah. Or Shabazz, man. I don't know about Bonga, man. I think you can play. You can play Troy Brown next to Beal and just play Beal at the point. Like that's right. fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what's I? I don't think Troy Brown. There, there's a lot of Wizards Twitter people out there <laughs> that think that Troy Brown's a point guard. Scott Brooks does not think that Troy Brown's a point guard. He's not. I can definitively say Scott Brooks doesn't think that. I can definitively say that I agree with Scott Brooks. I don't think he's a point guard. I think he's a. He's going to be a good playmaking wing. You don't need to start him. You don't need to just like the consistent role thing. It's good for young players to have a consistent role. And often when a new guy comes in, it's Troy Brown who sees the minutes decrease. And I just, I think he's going to be a good player. Like I think he's, he's really showing that he's going to have skill. He's a good passer in transition. He's really becoming a lot more patient. His jump shot's getting better. He's, he's becoming much better finishing around the rim. He's starting to get some crafty moves, like finishing. He doesn't finish over because he's not an incredible athlete. He doesn't finish over guys at the rim, but he's starting to. He doesn't finish under him either. He's starting to finish through guys well, like kind of finish well after initiating that contact, which is like a coordination thing. I think he's going to be good at that. He's he's starting to show stuff, and I just I wouldn't want to interrupt that. He's making positive progression. Like let it keep happening. So I don't think this is happening, but the Wizards are. Close-ish to the eighth seed, right? Do you think the consideration, the focus for this team right now, and Scott Brooks is maybe displaying this by the minutes he's distributing distributing right now, um, but is the focus still growth or is it to make the playoffs? I think it's still growth for sure. But to me, this like this situation doesn't even matter for that because I, I think that. Troy Brown it's deserves the same thing. Yeah, like Troy Brown would would give you a better chance of making the playoffs anyway. Right. Like if if you're playing for the playoffs, then you're playing Troy Brown more than you're playing Bonga. How much did Thomas Bryant play today? Thomas Bryant is still on a minutes restriction, so he was at 15 minutes. Yeah, played played okay. Hit eight and seven. He had to hit two big Close free throws at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. I you know so I don't want to discount him. I liked him last year. I just. He, we talked about the defensive liability, and I really have a distaste for a center that can't play defense unless if you're an elite offensive threat. And Thomas Bryant is a nice offensive threat, and he provides other things. He provides, at times, he can be a pretty good rebounder and can be tough to handle at times. It just it, it becomes tough to put a guy out on the floor consistently unless if you're like Montrez Harrell. Montrezl Harrell's like the best case scenario for Thomas Bryant, even though they're they're different players. Which is like, he's a, a, a kind of a problem in a good way on offense. He's tough to handle, um, but on defense, Montrezl Harrell's not really going to give you all that much. But he does offer some switchability and all that fun stuff. I, I just want to see. I need to see more from Thomas Bryant than just what I just saw tonight. I guess I think it, I don't want to rush to judgment on Thomas Bryant's defense. I just have never really seen an impact that's worth writing. Okay, if I had to write home about it, if I was going to write home like a letter, I was at summer camp, and I was going to write home about defense, I wouldn't be writing about Thomas Bryant's defense. You know what I mean? You know what I'd like to see from Mo Wagner? (laughs) Please. I'd like to see him be a little bit more aggressive looking for a shot before dribble handoffs. 
People were yelling for that. him to shoot. Yeah, but they were yelling for him to shoot at the wrong moment. <laughs> they were yelling for him to shoot when he got the ball at 11 feet and no one was guarding him. And I guess he could have taken a dribble in and, and hit a layup or something. But Mo Wagner is not going to take a mid-range shot. That's not his game, and Mo Wagner shouldn't take a mid-range shot. It's just not his game. He never... He doesn't take non-paid twos. He just doesn't do it. It's a thing I really like about him. He he is he is great shot selection. But one thing that I would like him to do, he does a lot of dribble handoffs with Bradley Beal at the top of the key. And normally he decides as soon as he gets the ball, okay, I'm going to give a dribble handoff. What happens is to his defender sags off of him and just knows the dribble handoff's coming. And then Beal gets the dribble handoff and goes around and has to dribble right into a defender who's waiting for him because they sagged off. If Mo Wagner just said, oh, you're sagging off here? Screw the dribble handoff and just shot a three Mm -hmm. right there. He's a pretty good three-point shooter. He's like a 38% three-point shooter. Take take your open spot up three. That's fine. If he doesn't hit it, next time he goes up there for a dribble handoff, that defender's going to actually have to guard him or else they're going to think that he's going to shoot a wide-open three, a capable three-point shooter shooting a wide-open three. That's going to make those dribble handoffs a lot more effective too because he's become a pretty good screener. So I... I, I wish sometimes that – and this this is probably just a young player thing because I think, like, his shot selection is great. He, he has good feel. I, I, think, I think he's a smart player, and I think it's probably just a young, a young player habit, and I bet you he gets away from this. I bet you he gets a little more aggressive in that sense. He becomes more comfortable because this is his first year playing. But, but I, I would love to see Wagner, not every time at all, but just, like, once every game or two. Instead of just predetermining that triple handoff, put up that three. Yeah. And if it doesn't go in, that's fine. But, yeah. But feel free to feel free to put that up. And that's a practice thing, right? Like that, that's the type of shot. Like there's certain shots you practice every shot, but there's certain shots that are specifically practiced. That type of practice where if you are the screener and you have the ball and you are you are doing what you're describing, that type of shot, the type of form you have to do, the type of movement you have to do to get into that shot. You have to begin to practice. You have to kind of get into it. And I think it's right. It's confident. He looked unconfident, not confident tonight. And there were a couple that we talked to him. We joked about that he was open and people were yelling him for shoot. And maybe he shouldn't have shot those shots. It's one of those things where it's like he needs um, kind of being in a playoff run is not the best thing for him because I feel like pressure. Yes, it's you can learn a lot from pressure, but you can also uh, – create bad habits because you're under pressure and you're not doing the things that you would confidently be doing on the court tonight. Not confident tonight. He didn't make the right plays most of the time. Obvious talent though. He has an obvious amount of talent. It just, he's a really skilled offensive big man. Yeah. He's really skilled. 68% on twos, high thirties on threes, really skilled, insanely efficient offensive numbers. He took one shot tonight. That's okay. Every once in a while, he had 14 screen assists on Monday. Scott Brooks mentioned it in his post-game presser. He said he had 14 points. That's impressive. He said he had 14 points generated off screens. I corrected him. He said he actually had 14 screen assists generated for 33 points, and then he sarcastically called me Coach Fred and walked out of the room. Nice. That's a good moment when you can correct a coach. Kenny <laughs> Atkinson know. was walking into be, the uh, – be a real dick to Scott Brooks. Kenny Atkinson was walking into the Nets locker room, and the security guard briefly stopped him to ask for his identification, and everyone started laughing because – yeah, 
and Kenny Atkinson even turned to us and said, this is what happens when you lose. No one knows who you are. <laughs> you know, it's a, almost a, a Masai Ujiri moment that happened in Golden State, but not, obviously, not exactly yeah, what happened. Uh, anything else before we wrap up? I think we're good, right? No, I think the Wizards are, are uh, headed in the right direction. I'm so glad to have been here yeah. live in the arena with you. Um, it's exciting, you know, I won't ask you if you think the Wizards are going to make the playoffs because I think it's too soon, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't think so. Positive things are happening. I don't think Positives. so, and I don't think they should push themselves in that direction, but, hey, man, Bradley Beal's playing. Should they be in the buyout market? Basketball. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Goodness, no, and they won't be. Um, all right, that's it for this one. Are, are we going to – what are we doing? Are we, are we splicing on this thing? I, I went on the, the back-to-back podcast, and I, I spoke about the Wizards with Dave DeFore. That's another one of our podcasts over at The Athletic, and we did a Wizards-filled episode where I spoke with Dave DeFore and Seth Partnow, who were the— And Howard Beck. Yes, who were the hosts of that, of that show. Uh, we recorded it about a week and a half ago at All-Star, a week ago. Hmm over at All-Star Weekend when I was in Chicago and I was walking through the hotel they were recording they had me on and as we were about to do it Howard Beck was walking through the media hotel and we were like Howard get over here and Howard Beck is obviously from Bleacher Report and is wonderful at his job and Howard came on and we talked about Howard's favorite Bradley Beal trade proposal which I'm sure will thrill all of you and we talked about Davis Bertans and some other wizard stuff and uh, it's a little bit old but a lot of it is still very relevant and we ran it today um are we going to splice just the Wizards convo in the end of yes. this? Yes. So you could go to the back-to-back podcast feed to listen to it because there's also some Bucks talk. There's a Bucks thing and the Suns thing, and then there's a Wizards thing with Fred and Howard. But as a special treat, we're just going to put the whole Wizards conversation at the end of this so you can listen to it all in one continuous stream of intelligent Wizards talk. Perfect. And uh, that should sustain you guys for a little while because I'm going to be off until I guess I'll have one up on Monday morning. The Wizards play the Jazz on Friday. I won't be recording after that one. They play the Warriors on Sunday night. I'll be in San Francisco. I'll be recording a podcast after that game. That's not the Steph Curry game. That That is possibly the Steph Curry game. That is possibly the Steph Curry game. Steve Kerr said today that he might not play in that game, but there's a Scared chance of the he plays in that game. Yeah. He is. I'm going to get shown up by... By Jerome Robinson. By Jerome Robinson. The new Steph Curry. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, might be talking about Steph in that game. Either way, I don't know what Steve Kerr says about this, but I can report definitively that I will be at the game wow. on Sunday in San Francisco. I'm really nervous about going to San Francisco. I'm like all freaked out about this coronavirus oh. stuff. Yeah. Really freaked out about traveling, bringing my. You'll be okay. Bringing my like sanitizers everywhere. The and flu is worse than the coronavirus. Yeah, that's not true. My stepdad's a dentist. I would know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll be back on on Monday morning. With a podcast following that uh, following that Warriors game, I'll talk to you guys then. All right, All Star Weekend party continues. Fred Katz is back. We're gonna back. do a little crossover episode of Wizards After Dark. Still got Seth Part now drinking coffee at the Starbucks right here. Was uh, Howard Beck from Bleacher Report? It's a latte. Oh, 
Oh. So, you know, it's the, uh, that, that's my afternoon jam. You okay. Know, yeah. Coffee in the morning. I need a little pick-me-up in the afternoon. It's, it's, it's the lunch. I got you. As long as you're not having a cappuccino after 11 a.m., we're good. I'm just going to take your word for it. That yeah, that's you advisable. don't do that. All right. Effort. You're saying I shouldn't have done that. Wait. Well, cappuccinos wait, why are pre-11 a.m. Have you, have you been to Italy? Is this like wearing white after Labor Day? Yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs> you never order a cappuccino after 11. It's just not done. Is that like if you feed a gremlin after midnight? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That explains many exactly things, yeah. actually. want to start with, Howard, with your Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal trade that I just heard about two seconds ago. And let's, just, now, let's just alarm all the Wizards fans right yeah, off the bat. Yeah. Like, they haven't even had their yeah, No, no, Howard's yeah. actually breaking that news. Yeah, yeah. Right Everyone now. should know, <laughs> yeah. The even though they deadline, can't trade Beal. Yeah. Uh, or but, anyone since the but trade this deadline summer, passed for I've thought about this trade for about four minutes now. And it makes yeah. perfect sense, just right off the top of your this head. This is why I like it. Yeah. See, this is it. This is, I, I, I mentioned this uh, on, on my podcast a few days ago with Zach Lowe, where I said, you know, I'm not a fake trade guy. I'm not a big who says no guy. I don't get into this one. It just feels like the stage is set for something like this. All these rumblings around the league where a lot of people around the league don't feel like Simmons and Embiid are, are long for a long-term partnership. Sure. Just does, you know, and, you know, the league, as I often say about the league grapevine, it's... um. It's very chatty, and uh, it's very entertaining, and sometimes right. Um, and I'm not saying that people are predicting this. They're just, if you ask around, there are a lot of basketball experts in this league, scouts, execs, who feel like this is not going to work long term. And if and when they flame out this spring, that's going to be the trigger point to say, okay, we have to reconsider what we're doing with this, with this, this foundation. Meanwhile... Bradley Beal signs that extension that took him off of the trade market. He would have been absolutely the star of January and early February, rumor-wise, even if he never got dealt. The trade or the extension took him off the trade market, removed uh, a lot of entertainment and talking points for, for all of us. The debate shows got all that robbed from them. But I still think, with all due respect to the Wizards organization and to Bradley Beal's insistence over time that he is not one who is ever going to go this route, I just don't see how it's avoidable. He's 26, and in his prime... And not for nothing, not exactly happy that he's not here right now at All-Star Weekend. Why? His stats are there. He's been an All-Star before. There's no reason for him to, oh, you're right. Your team's record is terrible. But there are only two games out of the playoffs. That's true. But but that's why he's not here, right? Can we agree? There, there are also no Magic and Net players here either. That's, that's a good point. I don't, I don't think it's a playoffs thing. I think it's a 20 and 33 thing. He's averaging the most points per game of any non-all-star ever right now which is crazy and I I wasn't necessarily on the Bradley Beal has to be an all-star thing I would have had him on my reserves I think it's I think instead of instead of Tatum I think I think I would have had Bradley Beal over Trey Young same oh well I I'm I'm assuming the I would have had Beal over Trey Young too but I'm I'm assuming the reserves are coming out after yeah Trey Young's already voted in yes I would have Beal over Trey Young also I think it's reasonable and you can make an intelligent argument not to, mostly because of what he's done on the defensive end this year, where like you can look at the film and see what he's done on defense, or you can look at the advanced numbers and see what he's done on defense, and they all kind of paint the same picture. That being said, it is kind of wild. I know it's basic. I know I'm on a basketball nerds show right now, but it is kind of wild to look at 29 points per game, even with the speed the game is played at today, and a pretty efficient 29 points per game because of how often he's getting to the line this year. And just not see that dude make an all-star he he was upset with not making an all-star and i would just say this um people can make whatever points they want to about his defense or efficiency or whatever else 
It's not really the point. The point is, what does Bradley Beal feel? Does right. he deser- think he deserves to be here? And he does. And he's upset about not being here. And in addition to that, and this is the point I keep coming back to and why I can't let go of this, this idea, is that when you look at where he is in his career, in the thick of his prime, and you look at where the Wizards are with a, a John Wall contract that is going to potentially handicap them for years to come, and no, no realistic expectation that we're going to see the old John Wall again. I, I don't think so. I would like to be wrong on this, as I always want to with regard to injuries, but it's an Achilles for a guy whose entire career and stardom has been because of his explosiveness. And so if your Bradley Beal isn't the realistic uh, assessment to, to look around and say, I don't know how or when we're going to be respectable, much less contenders again, and I can't afford to just burn any more years here. And if he reaches that conclusion, if, I'm not making these assumptions, I'm just saying this is a reasonable outline. If he reaches that conclusion and he finally says, you know what, I think I'd like to be elsewhere, I'm fairly certain that that there was a conversation months ago with the Wizards where they said, let's do the extension, it's good for you, good for us, and by the way, if you ever want to go, we will obviously not hold you hostage here. I think that moment could come this summer, and if it does, and if the things had gone wrong in Philly also, I think then there's the outline of a really interesting deal. So the Simmons, all right, the, the Beal in Philadelphia part makes complete sense. Wow, he'd be great there. The Simmons with the I know. Wizards part <laughs> Wall, is the tricky part. Because Wall is still there. Because you got John Wall. Yeah. And so that's, uh, maybe you're having a three-teamer with, with another star added in, but I mean, I think the argument you make for that is that that Simmons on his own is more of a a almost a context creator uh, because of his his size and versatility and, you know, ability to create for others with the ball in a way that that Beal just as a more traditional kind of two guard score can't really be. I mean, that would be the argument you'd go down, is and that, that he's a better fit with Wall than Beal. No, I mean, I, I think, I think, as 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 Howard pointed out, you kind of have to take like getting a high level play from Wall post Achilles, and it's not just based on like his game was based on uh, on athleticism. It's the track record of and and then Brooklyn's going to go through this next year also. The track record of guys coming back after an Achilles injuries like at and and maintaining like a. An all-star level of play is a list of one, essentially. It's Dominique Wilkins, and that's it. And it happened uh, like once, like you yeah. mean eight all-star team, and then that was it. Yeah. So that uh, I think that worrying about the fit with Wall is, you know, again gravy, and right. it's more like a player who, on his own, can you know both ends of the floor build something that you create something you can build around. Whereas right. Beal is Beal is a a plug-and-play scorer. But how far does that get you? We just recorded with with Gina Mizell of the Suns. And again, how far did just having uh, a plug and play two guard score? What did that do for the Suns? Not a ton. And then they maybe they, they added some more context around it and became more credible this year. So, so two thoughts on the wall problem. One is um, arguably Ben Simmons is not a point guard. I know Ben Simmons uh, would not want to hear that, but there's a case to be made that he's more of a point forward or a ball handling or could be even a secondary playmaker, whatever. It's, it's possible they could play together, although they're two non-shooters, to say the least, in Ben Simmons's case, since he doesn't actually want to shoot. Um, so there's that. But there's, I've thought about it more from a value standpoint. If, you are, if you've reached the point where you have no choice and you have to trade Bradley Beal, the time has come. There are only a couple different ways to go. You can cite the recent precedent of Anthony Davis and Paul George and say, I want 
the sweetheart package of a bazillion picks and maybe a couple of young players because he's Bradley freaking Beal. He's re- I think he's really valuable in, in the marketplace, and especially given recent superstar trades. There's that model, or there's the get the established young already an all-star, of which there are not that many to come by, and none of them are probably available, but this one may be. So even if you think he's not the right fit, if that's on the table, if that's a possibility, because that's just where that that's the opportunity, then you do it. Yeah, it's the best asset. It's it's like you know the the sign and trade for D'Angelo Russell. It's well, you see, you you talk. I don't, I wasn't sure which team you were talking about when you're saying okay, we have to make a move here because the the if you're saying it's it's come to that for Philadelphia, okay, we got to make a move here, and then it's coming to that for Washington. So it's kind of like you kind of you kind of look both? at each other across the room, and yes. and everyone else has a dance partner, and okay, yes. I guess I guess we're going home together. And they're both and they're both thinking crap, I never wanted to be in this position, but if I have to do this, I better get the best damn package I can possibly get. And those are both pretty damn good packages to come back the other direction, right? Beal would fit well in Philly. Oh, oh yes. yeah, he'd be amazing. And, and then he, there's that. He, he, he and Embiid would be really good. Like That would work. He's become a really good pick-and-roll player. He's really He's got a lot of patience in the pick-and-roll now, which he just didn't used to have. Like That was his big thing. We're like, People think of John Wall as moving at one speed all the time, and it's because that one speed is just really, really fast. I, I never thought that was true, but go on. No, that's that. Yeah. that well, this is what I'm getting yeah. at. People think of Wall as the one speed guy, and it's because he was really fast. Beal really was a one speed guy, where it was just kind of he had he had his 91 mile an hour fastball, and he was just always throwing the 91 mile an hour fastball. And now he has so much more patience. He's so much more prodding. In the pick and roll, running those, he's so much better just finding chemistry with, with big guys. Like, he seems to have good chemistry with Thomas Bryant in the pick and roll, good chemistry with Wagner in the pick and roll when he runs them. Um, it's it's just he's so much more intelligent in those moments, and you can just see the way that he prods on them. And, man, him him running that with a guy like Embiid would be really good. I, I'm sure Wizards fans listening to this right now. Oh, going to be <laughs> – ecstatic <laughs> they oh my this. god oh, you yeah, guys they're gonna be so i don't know if you guys spend your your 11 30 or 11 to to 12 a.m hours ever reading through wizards reddit but my <laughs> god whenever somebody mentions a hypothetical bill trade somebody posted on there and all the comments are just somebody else is trying to trade bill yeah everybody's trying to trade bill they're all trying to get rid of brad but at least this time they're trying to get them something good right it's not trading Bradley Beal for you know the Lakers bag of peanuts and Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, I'll, I'll make I'll make a prediction on this. Okay, let's say let's say that we live in a hypothetical world where we we can see into the future enough that we know that Beal at some point is going to either want to be traded or the Wizards are going to decide that we're going to trade you. We know that that is happening at some point. We just don't know when. I think if that were going to happen, I think it's more likely to happen at next year's deadline than this upcoming summer. I think both parties, at least every impression that I get is that both parties are, are pretty committed to wanting to see where it's at with Wall first. Uh, both he and the team really want to see, okay, you know what? Wall is back. Let's see how Wall is with, with Davis Bertans because he's never played with a shooter like this before. Let's see if Rui makes a little bit more improvement because they they really believe in Rui there. Let's see what pick we get in the draft this year, get lucky in the lottery, and end up with some really good pick. I mean, look at what happened in New Orleans. That can just change everything in terms of the future of a franchise. And I think there is 
there is enough commitment on both those sides right now to where I, 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 if I had to bet, if I knew it was happening and I had to bet, it's either going to happen in February of 2021 or the summer of 2020, I would bet on February 2021. A totally reasonable and maybe yeah. even likely scenario. Um, I do think, though, that, you know, when you were the player, you can't, it's, it's hard to know when the urgency thing kind of kicks in, when you start to feel antsy, when you start to really feel like, and it's nice to say, well, let's see what, what happens when Wall gets back and they've got some new players with, with Bertans and Hachimura. Okay, that's all fine. But one, uh, it takes a while for the young guys to, to get somewhere. So Rui or the draft pick to be selected in June, are you really waiting on those guys when you're Beal and in your prime? Is that the answer? And he has to know, because he's a smart guy, everything that we've all just been talking about, about Achilles and trying to come back from it. Like, I'm sure that he wants the best for John Wall, as, as we all would. But again, he has to be realistic. And he might have to sit back and say, all right, but listen, John Wall at 100% with Bradley Beal has been, what, a 47-win-ish team per year? Mm-hmm. Got to 49 once. But they Got didn't to have Davis Bertans. Yeah, if Davis Bertans is the difference between them being a mid-40 win team to suddenly a 50-plus win team, then, my gosh, we've really, really highly underestimated Davis we got to ask Davis, I think. That's the person you got to ask because he's the one who would know. <laughs> he, he, he would say bring him to, to 65. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so speaking of Davis, the Davis Bertans, uh, the fact that he didn't get traded at the deadline would uh, lead us to believe that, that they plan to – match any offer this summer yes yes okay. that is a more than reasonable assumption how much of that is tied into beal and and we're gonna try to make this work and make him happy versus we just really love davis or want to protect an asset that right. we have acquired i i think it's a little bit of all of it i mean if they didn't believe tommy shepherd's a pretty methodical guy even if you don't agree with some of his moves there's, there is a logic and thought process behind each one that he's made, which you can see that an intelligent person is thinking through those things. He is a big Davis Bertans guy. Uh, Scott Brooks loves Bertans. And Beal and Wall have both talked about publicly many times, this is the best shooter that we're going to get to play with. That entire organization is is really excited, even even if Wall is... As long as Wall is is a competent facilitator when he comes back, and and they're optimistic about his rehab with the way that it's going, that organization is really excited to see how John Wall can play with Davis Bertans because he's never played with a shooter that good. And the thing with Wall is he is amazing at creating standstill threes for guys. I mean, he's gotten a lot of shooters paid, a lot of it based on his explosiveness, which I just don't know I, what's so again, I, again uh, to disagree with you again. It, it has it's been based as much on his vision as his, sure, as his yeah. explosiveness. Like maybe maybe the angle with like to the blind uh, the I blind mean, one hand baseball pass to the backside corner isn't as open if he's not if you're not worrying about him getting downhill 100 miles an hour. But nobody else can make that pass anyway. Like hey. that, right. that 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 pass on a rope that goes two inches behind the defender's ear and hits a guy in the shooting pocket, which, you know, Wall was one of the very best in the league at, 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 at throwing. And as you said, has has turned guys into 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 seemingly great shooters. And now that he's working with a guy who is needs no help, like right. what, what are you like? What are you? Uh, OK, right. but we're going to give you help anyway. So what does that look like? Right. Well, hey, you're you're talking to the guy who just did uh, John Wall basketball IQ week. At the right. athletic DC, like yeah. he's, he knows what he's what he's doing in that capacity. 
the, the thing with him and Davis, which I find interesting from an X's no standpoint, all the shooters that he's gotten paid, so like the Jared Dudleys, the Garrett Temples, the Trevor Arizas, a lot of those guys are, those are the Anthony Morrow type shooters, right? Those are the guys who are great spot up shooter, good, good to great spot up shooters, but are standstill spot up shooters. They're not scurrying around screens and that kind of stuff. And Wall likes to play at his own pace. He wants the ball at the top of the key and he's going to go when he wants to go. And one of the things that I saw when I was covering the Thunder at the very beginning of when that season, when they had Victor Oladipo, the very beginning of the season, they're trying to run Victor Oladipo off of pin downs at the elbow. And Russell Westbrook kept waving him off to go away because when Russ wants to hit the lane, Russ is going to hit the lane. And if Victor Oladipo is running around a pin down there, there is a defender guarding the screener. There is a defender guarding the guy running off the screen. And there are more people to prohibit Russ from getting into the lane. And I wonder if you're going to be running off Davis and that kind of stuff, how is that going to affect John getting to the middle and that sort of penetration? Because Davis is an unbelievable catch-and-shoot guy when you give him the opportunity to catch-and-shoot, but the way that he gets those catch-and-shoots is different. So, like, Wall, and I think he's very intellectually intellectually capable of doing this, but Wall is going to have to get him the ball in a different way than he did those other spot-up shooters. And I'm I am really curious to see how what that's going to look like. On It's totally possible. It might look amazing. Uh but there's going to be some sort of a learning process. I mean, there too. I think you're. It's it's the fact that that Bertans can do that. Let's not lose sight of the fact that he's also like could you know, stand in the corner. Stand, well, no, he's not going to stand in the corner. I mean, he's he, yeah. he's also he can stand at 28 feet out and right. see how much space that creates. If like, oh, yeah. you know, and so was he shooting uh, over 30 feet? Over 30 feet, he's 14 for 20 this year. Yeah. So he can just shoot. <laughs> it's rid- right? it's so, ridiculous. Yeah. Like I, I think he's, he'll figure he's that out. 20 27 plus feet. Of the guys, he's he's taken like 110, 115 shots from 27 plus feet. He's the only guy with that many shots who's shooting over 40 percent. Yeah, he's like 42 percent. Does Davis translate to Dame? Yeah, in, uh, yeah. English? He's, uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, something else we talked about with the Wizards at the trade deadline, and you mentioned this, so I, I brought it up on the show, is that Tommy Shepard has figured out this really neat angle where he becomes the third team in a lot of these trades and winds up getting assets where there are none. He's literally just showing up as the guy who facilitates these these bigger trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you talked to Tommy about this at all? Yeah, okay. I have. I spoke to him about it after the deadline. Because this, is a, this is an angle he's, he's doing on purpose. Yeah, no, it's very intentional. Um, I've spoken to him about this kind of the the strategy of it in which he's trying to trying to angle it because he he slid into the Anthony Davis trade and ended up getting Mo Wagner and Bonga and an unprotected 2022 second round pick. And all he gave up was one point one million dollars in cash so that the Lakers could maintain their max cap room to make the run at Kawhi. Uh, He slid into the Bertans trade uh, because the Spurs wanted to clear out Bertans so they could sign Marcus Morris. Oops. Oops. And uh, actually, Marcus Morris has facilitated two of these trades because then when Marcus Morris got traded to the Clippers, they were like the Clippers wanted to duck the tax because that was going to bring them two ish million over the tax or something like that. And they said, hey, we can uh, we can give you Isaiah Thomas if we'll just you can release him and we'll we'll take back Jerome Robinson and Jerome Robinson. I don't know if Jerome Robinson is going to be good. 
he hasn't really been with the Clippers. Kind of a kind of a nice defender, isn't shooting well at all. But the Wizards like him, and like the whole point of this casting a wide net thing and getting stuff essentially for free is the acknowledgement that most of these guys don't work out. But every once in a while, you get a guy for free, and Mo Wagner becomes like I don't know how good Mo Wagner is going to be, but I feel very comfortable saying he's he's going to be a really good offensive big man and and a contributing rotation guy. Like he's Seth's laughing at me right now. No, you guys, uh, uh, Dave knows that I was not a a huge proponent of of Mo Wagner either early in his career in the NBA or as a draft prospect. And so, but he's uh, been good. But he's been he's obviously been been like very good for the, for the wizards. Yeah. And so, but, but the, the, the point being, is like, all right, I don't, I don't particularly like this player, right. but, but we're taking it, you know, you're, you're, you're giving yourself lottery tickets essentially. Yeah. And like, you know, Jerome Robinson, like you said, hasn't shown a ton so far, but he got, he was what the 14th pick a year ago, 13th, yeah, 13th, yeah, 13th pick. And, and he's got some, you know, combo guard skills and maybe give him an opportunity on a team. That's not as veteran laden, uh, as as the Clippers and maybe have something probably not because you know if the, based on what he's shown so far but like it's for free so why not right and you you add up enough things for free like you know it's, it's one of those sooner or later you're talking about real money kind of situations right and so I talked to Tommy about it and I asked him like what's the trick to making these sorts of trades like what's what is your process like and and he said what you end up having to do. I imagine I should have followed up with this because I, I wonder if this is the case. I bet you he's a very copious note taker because in order to organize all of this information, you have to organize it in a, in a way to be able to be able to process and find and recall this information very quickly. Because what, what he basically said to me was what you end up having to do is you're constantly calling teams and you ask them, okay, what are you trying to accomplish? And then you tell them, okay, here's what we're trying to accomplish. We can help you facilitate something if you need that. We just, you know, we want to take on your Jerome Robinsons. We want to take on your Mo Wagners and Isak Bangas and all of those. And then you find out, you hear this team is working on this thing. And, and, and what he said to me was, well, you, you know how the game of dominoes works. You hear the Clippers are working on Marcus Morris and you say, Hey, wait, Marcus Morris, Mo Harkless, that's going to take them into the tax. They're going to want to get out of the tax. Let's see if we can come in here and we can be like, hey, we can take you out of the tax. Another thing that they do is Tommy Shepard, and it's not just Tommy Shepard, it's that front office, they are obsessed with trade exceptions. And I bring up trade exceptions all the time, and I have a buddy who makes fun of me and says I talk about and write about trade exceptions too much, and nobody cares about trade exceptions. It is boring, and it is weird, and it is nerdy, but we're on a nerdy podcast, so I'm going to talk about it again. We're like, the Wizards value this, and that's how you get Davis Bertans because nobody has cap space in the NBA anymore. And when you do a weird thing, like you get a disabled player exception, slide a player into the disabled player exception so that you can turn it into a trade exception, which is a weird, nerdy cap thing I don't need to explain any further, and then you can acquire Davis Bertans because you have that. Right. That helps. Like, even in the Isaiah Thomas Jerome Robinson trade, they structured it in such a way so it created another miniature trade exception, which they might be able to use within the next year again. So, like, they're, that, that's another form. We talk about assets all the time, right? And I don't like referring to assets as players, but, like, draft picks and trade exceptions. Like, trade exceptions are assets. And so it's just kind of like 
you make your own luck in some of these situations too. You're putting you're, only, more, you're putting more tools in the tool chest, right? Yeah. And to to your point about about you know how how that's done, uh, John Hollinger and I did a did a kind of a pre deadline stuff. Where we're talking about sort of the process, and and there's in in some cases it's more literal than others. A team has the board, and the board is like the trades you're kind of the ideas you're kicking around, the concepts of you know it, 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 most of them don't reach the the point of being a fully formed cap legal mechanically sound blah 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 it's more like this guy for that guy and a second round pick and then we'll fit the other pieces around it and so uh, what you're talking about doing is with the, your constant search for information about what teams are are doing is kind of not doing the matchmaking yourself but kind of creating what you think other teams boards look like and so then if you hear i mean the the like the the morris harkless trade was was was, was you know, there to be made for months. And so that that's that's a fairly like easy example of something. Okay, well that's gonna be on the board. What is this what are the implications of that? Let's get in on that. But you start to put together the deals that other teams are likely doing and then you catch a whiff of it and then you've you've done the work of saying, okay, what does this team's roster and cap sheet look like after this trade we think might happen? What's their next move gonna be? Is there anything we can do to make it easier for them? And so it's it's using that information to kind of work backwards from where you think teams are going to end up. And then, you know, how can I help? And not not like you obviously like, hey, you guys got anything for free for me in this? It's like, how can I help? And so, oh, the Clipper, Clippers, you have a problem. You don't want to go into the tax. Well, I just so happen to have a solution for you. And then it's like, you know, as the, you get towards the deadline, these things move fast. And it's just like, yes, I could I could maybe look around and, and find something that is maybe slightly less expensive way of doing that, but that works. Let's do it. I think, I think it helps part of this the, too. The Wizards have one of the most creative cap guys in the league. Brett Greenberg. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Very creative. And, and I think another thing that helps too, and uh, I was talking to somebody else from another team about this and about this concept, and this, this person uh, who works in the front office with another team mentioned to me that Tommy Shepard is easy to negotiate with. And that's kind of become his rep around the league. And that sounds like such a simple thing. And it, it sounds homery to hear the team's beat writer say, oh, the guy running the team that I'm covering is easier to negotiate with. But that's kind of becoming his rep around the league. And you guys know. I've like, never run into someone that has anything bad to say about Tommy. But that's not always the case also. Right. Like there, there are GMs who, be, who earn reputations of being the dude in your fantasy league who's just going to call you up and be like, eh, Davis Bertans for LeBron. How about that, guys? <laughs> and, and, and when you're in those situations. Who says no? <laughs> when you're the Clippers. Yeah, you know, like Howard calls up and is like, hey, how about uh, Beal for Simmons, huh? And so, and so <laughs> when you're in one of those situations, you're the Clippers, you're the Knicks, you're working out Marcus Morris for Harkless and the other stuff, you just want someone who's going to make the situation as easy as possible. You're working up against the deadline. It's late in the day. You're like, we got to figure out a way to duck the tax here. What can we do that's going to be easy, that's not going to have somebody else come in and they're going to be close to an agreement and then that guy's going to say, you know what, I want a second round pick too and blow up the deal. So it's going to be... It's it's just it makes things easy. Yeah, uh, Howard, did you expect to talk about the Wizards this much at All Star Weekend, um, or this season? Period. Right. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. So so as we wrap, because we all got to get out of here. Um, are the Wizards making the playoffs? No. Yes or no? No. No. no I'm going no. 
I would think no, in part because they probably don't want to. What, yeah. What's the what's the point at this point? They'll they'll at some point you start to shut guys down, save them for next season, yeah. play the rookies, play the young guys as we all. Orlando about. would have yeah. to completely fall apart, I think. Which which is also possible. Yeah, that is possible. They they also like they're not going to prioritize the playoffs over playing the young guys. They're just not going to. Yeah, I think and and Orlando is is more motivated. They want to make for you know for. You know, kind of the rightly or wrongly, that is their internal motivation. And, yeah. And so I think that that's more likely, although it's it, sometimes it's funny how it works out that way. Maybe you're you're playing a little freer and things happen. And if you're, oh, we got to make the playoffs and you squeeze tighter and it goes, you know, we've right. definitely Memphis, seen that Memphis. Yeah, they they didn't care if they made the playoffs. They didn't care if they were bad. And look at them. I mean, they might. They, they struck gold. Oh, I think they I think they're going to make it. Uh, all right. Well, that's it for the special all-star weekend media hotel party edition of Nerder She Wrote. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Howard. Appreciate no, it. My pleasure.